Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we are in Are You Covenanted Part 20. Wow, we got to 20 parts. That's a pretty big teaching right there. Okay, so part 20, some of you are still thinking, I wonder if this is going to be as long as Heart of the Matter. <laughs> After all, when I did Heart of the Matter, if you go back to part 1, 2, or 3, I thought, ah, I thought we'd get it done in, what, 5 or 6 or 10 parts, whatever I said on there. What did I know? Went 64. Okay, so we're in Proverbs chapter 2. And as we go through this, just remember, again, what we're looking at at this point, as by way of reminder, is this idea of covenant. And covenant is an agreement it's usually formal between two or more persons to do or not do something specific. And so at this point, we're not dealing with that part of covenant. We're dealing with the idea of the connection between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in whether or not we keep it. Is it wise to keep the covenant? Is it, does it take understanding and knowledge to keep the covenant? So this is what Proverbs is talking about. We talked a lot in the first five books as we went through Genesis to Deuteronomy, the idea of covenant and how it was established and who was between, and that there were consequences on the human side if we did not keep the covenant and those kind of things. But now we're going to talk about it from the point of view, or continue talking about it since last week, uh, from the point of view of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and how it relates to covenant keeping. So we're going to go now and continue in that with uh Part 20 here on chapter 2 of Mishlei of Proverbs, chapter 2. And we're going to read the entire chapter here, beginning verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and treasure up my commands with you, so that you make your ear attend to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Okay, that's, that sounds like way too much work. I think we should just give up. Because after all, we're taught that these things are not stuff that we have to do. We don't have to make an effort. It's works and stuff. Well, here's works for you. You need to make your ear attend. Pay attention to wisdom. We have to break free of the mindset that somehow we've been set free of doing anything. We have to just make sure that we are not having any little remnant of that in our system so it doesn't metastasize and like, like a cancer and take over our system. We have a very active role in this thing called covenant. And part of it is that he does have things he specifies that he wants us to do or not do. Now it says here to make your ear attend to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. We're also told that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of these things. We're told that he wants us to love him and give him attention and focus on him with all our heart, our mind, our being, etc., these are all very active things because so, some of us are still dealing with the, 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 I don't know, the bill of goods, whatever the right idiomatic phrase is, that we were sold that somehow the creator was just going to wave his magic wand or hand or something or you know, wrinkle his nose at us and we were just going to have a new heart and do everything which is wonderful and we wouldn't have to do anything. Because after all, anything good that you needed to do, Messiah did it for you. That's what they'll tell you. And anything bad, well, it wasn't your fault. The devil did it for it, you know, and made you do it or whatever it was. And so you have no personal responsibility pretty much for anything. But here he's telling you, 
Make your ear attend. Now make your ear should tell us that it doesn't do it by natural default. It is not in us to naturally listen and pay attention to wisdom. Anybody know that you struggle with that? That we make unwise decisions on a regular basis, especially when we're caught in the heat of a moment and we're not thinking, we're just reacting. And our default is generally to make bad decisions that are, if you want to use the right wording for it, it's not so much bad, but they're unwise. We make decisions that prove that there was no wisdom in it. He says you need to make your ear, which is not by default wanting to do this, attend to wisdom. You are to incline your heart to understanding. Some of you struggle with understanding things. Maybe part of the struggle is because you've not inclined your heart. Well, what do you mean? I want to understand, so my heart is to want to understand. Well, what are you talking about? Well, could it be that because your heart wants the understanding to be what you want it to be, you're not inclining it to understanding what it actually is? Let me say that again. Because you have a predisposition, you are already in your own heart and mind have decided what you want it to be. The reasoning behind or the driving force behind or whatever it is that you're trying to understand that when he gives you understanding and it doesn't match, you're not ready to incline your heart to that understanding. We have to get ourselves out of the way. We talk about this almost every week. I haven't said it probably in a while. But almost every week we talk about the idea of we have to get ourselves out of the way. Covenant keeping is not possible for us if we are going to put our preferences and desires and how we want it done into the mix. Because the covenant is based on Exodus 19 where he said, I speak, you do. But to do that, we need to make our ears attend to hear what he is saying, to receive it the way he intended it. And then we have to incline our hearts to understand it the way he understands it and not the way we want it to be. You know, I've mentioned that we're going to be doing some courses at some point on men and women. And part of the problem that we have as men and as women is that we allow each other, culture, society, whatever it is, to get us to have this image or idea of what a man or a woman is. And we don't understand what he actually intended when he made us. He already had in mind what a man was. He already had in mind what a woman was. He already had in mind what the earth should be like. He had in mind how things should be behaviorally, how the relation. He knows how those things should work, how we should relate to each other, how we should relate to him. So in this covenant, the beautiful part about it, not that there's just one little piece, but one of the greatest beauties about the whole thing is that he is telling us that he's going to give us the things we need to be successful in this thing called life that he gave us. He gave us life. And he didn't give it to us to just stumble along without any understanding what he expects and how it really works. But if we go, if we don't make our ear attend wisdom, we're going to trip and fall and stumble and it's not going to be fun. It's going to be painful. If we don't incline our heart to understand the way he understands it, we're going to end up in a mess and confusion. So there's a lot of people out there, can we all admit, a lot of people out there think they're in covenant. But if they're doing it through their own understanding, they're not probably really in covenant. That hurts a little bit. But you don't get to decide what covenant looks like. 
He made that decision. You're choosing to participate in or to sign on or pledge to be a part of and commit to be a part of a covenant. But he's the one that made the offer. He said, here's the covenant I'm offering you. If you, if you will do everything I say, then I will take care of everything else. Do you want to sign on for that? And we all say, amen, amen. But the thing is, then we get immediately involved with deciding how we want to interpret what he says. Because we're not hearing him clearly through wisdom because we want to put our own man's wisdom involved in there. And we're not inclining our heart to understand it the way he understands it. So when we keep Shabbat, we want to figure out how we think Shabbat should be kept, not what he says. When we keep the feasts, when we tithe, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we love him, when we praise, when we worship, we don't want to use his definitions. We want to use our own. After all, we've had thousands of years of people coming up with their own understandings, and we've been taught them and indoctrinated and brainwashed and everything else. But how much of that stuff have you discovered wasn't done correctly? That you were told incorrectly? That didn't actually have his wisdom, but had man's wisdom? You know, I was told many years ago, and I've been told this actually probably more recently as well, you know, when I've said certain things that are different than what they've you know, mainstream is taught for all those times. They go, oh, well, you think you're so smart and you're right. And all those people for all these thousand years are wrong. And I've often said, yes, but actually that's not the right answer. I don't think I'm right. I think he's right and they're wrong. But they're twisting what he has said and what he intends and what he intended. And so just because something's been done in the same way for a long time doesn't make it right. It just means it's the way that's comfortable and convenient and the way we've always done it. And of course, we as human beings, we just love to change, don't we? And so it is much, much harder to get us to be willing to try something differently than change because we hate change. That's like the most stressful thing there is, is anything that's a change. You know, there is a guy who put out a chart, you know, of what are the most stressful things in life. And if you look at the chart, all of them are massive changes. Loss of a loved one, that changes your life. Changing jobs, changing physical location when you move. Going from single to married or married to divorced. State change. These are all changes. We don't like change. Change is very stressful painful, awkward, leaves us in a place where we're a little bit lost and we don't know what to do because we're no longer doing things the way we were very comfortable and the way we always did it. But he's telling us that we need to make our ear attend to his wisdom, that we have inclined our hearts to his understanding, then maybe this stuff will start to make sense. And what I have promised you from his word, because he promises it, in the doing you will get the understanding. But you have to be doing what he said the way he said it, the way he intended it. So you can't just say you're in covenant because, well, I keep Shabbat and I eat certain foods different and all that stuff, because it's more than just mechanics. It's a relationship. It's a trusting in him. It's a fear of him and not a fear of other people and other things. So it's more than just the mechanical parts of it, although the mechanical parts are very important. He expects you, when he says do it, to do it. When he says don't, he expects you not to do it. 
But he also expects you to have your heart inclined a certain way. That's why the heart of the matter teaching is so important. It talks about that for, you know, 70 hours or more, 64 parts at 70 minutes each, whatever that adds up to. Okay, that's a lot of hours of just understanding the heart of the approach, how we, our attitude is, how our desires are when facing him, dealing with him, and dealing what he's telling us to do. Because you can, can we all admit that you can do everything he says and don't do the things he says not to do, but with a lousy attitude? But you can still obey. Anybody have a child ever do that? Oh, yeah, they're doing exactly what you said, but, oh, their attitude is awful. Oh, what you don't want to tell me what to do. Right? Are we not the same sometimes as adults? Okay? Look, I have been accused often of being cocky. No, I'm being confident. Of being like, you know, saying, well, everybody just needs to listen to me. No, you need to listen to him. But understand that he has chosen to talk through anointed, appointed teachers. And then your job is to find those. And I've said that over and over again. So when I say that, I don't know how people think that I just want everybody listening to me. I told you, if if you don't think I'm the one, go find the one you're supposed to be listening to. I don't think I've ever said it any differently. You see, but when you come strong into people's faces and they don't like it, all they can do is call you cocky. All they can do is accuse you of all kinds of whatever they want to accuse you of. Oh, you're just being... I'm sorry, how do you think they felt about Moses when he got in their face? Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, any of the prophets. How do you think they liked it when Paul was... Paul was pretty strong to those Galatians, wasn't he? You foolish, you stupid Galatians, what's wrong with you? Oh, Paul, you're just cocky. Do they love the prophets? No. Am I claiming to be one? No, but you understand it's a role. The person that's going to get up and get in your face and say, I'm sorry, but you're probably not doing this right. And you don't like that. You're going to probably have some nice expletives for me. And you know what? I'm okay with that. So any of you out there think you're hurting my feelings or anything else? No. I've long since gotten over that. I am only concerned with how he's going to judge me based on how many of you go from here to the kingdom door. And if I had to get you mad at me or get you offended or whatever else, you, that these are things you chose to do. I'm just throwing it out there hard and fast. Well, you know, I, you know, if Rabbi, if you know, if you were to soften it up and everything, you know, more people might want to listen. Really? Don't they get enough of that already from everywhere? See, part of this is making your ear to attend and you need somebody to, what do they say that a prophet does? Cry aloud and spare not. Oh, but we don't like that. Oh, wait a minute, we do, if we're the one doing it. Oh, so I get people on a regular basis telling me how they're called to straighten me out because they're crying aloud and sparing not of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm called to straighten out teachers and and do this and do that. Really? Okay. Where's that anywhere in here? Where do you see one teacher going around trying to straighten out other teachers? You don't see that anywhere. It's left to you, the audience, so to speak, the students, the ones who are sitting, to decide whether or not you should be listening to a teacher. Oh, they'll argue, we're not supposed to submit to any man. Not like you submit to him, but he works through man. Where's the wisdom in all of that? Is it wisdom to everybody to be on their own and saying, well, the Ruach teaches me? Does that work really? 
If that were true, why are we not all on the same page? Where's the wisdom in that? Where's your understanding of how he intends? Go listen to the teaching, learn and teach the Torah. We're going to do a, te- we're going to do a teaching on leadership at some point here soon that we'll go through and show again, just like learn and teach the Torah. Maybe we'll just take that as the launching point and go forward and redo that one because that's a pretty old one anyway. So we'll go from two parts to 36 or whatever, you know. But just understand that we don't understand. We think we do because we're filtering it through man's understanding. Well, I don't understand why he would choose to go through men. Men screw everything up. I don't understand it either, but that's his choice. I don't know why he wants to live forever with a bunch of flawed, screwed up human beings, but he does. But actually he doesn't. He expects us to change. He expects us to transform and conform into the image of Yeshua. Because I don't want to spend forever, and neither do you, with the way we are now. We struggle with it now. Why would we think forever would be any different? Oh, because don't you understand, Rabbi? He's going to wave his magic hand and put all new hearts in us, and we're going to be a totally different people. No. Oh, there you are being cocky again. Let the word speak for itself. And by the way, say, I don't Christianity loves you that we like to receive the whole counsel of the word. I don't think I've ever heard that in a synagogue ever mentioned, but the whole council. Well, then fine. Get the whole council. Read what it says from Genesis and then all the way through to the prophets and then all the way through to the Brit and everywhere else and see that there's a consistent message through and not the stuff that the, the charismatics or the Lutherans or the Catholics or the Baptists or the Adventists or whatever denomination has taught you. Let the whole council come and find yourself a teacher that teaches the whole council of the book. That's why we do 20 parts, 30 parts, because we're going to take it from the beginning all the way to the end. As I've heard jokingly said, from Genesis to maps. (laughs) Although not every book has maps at the back, and this one doesn't. Okay? But we're going to start and take it all the way through, because we want his whole council... We want to see what he has to say about the topic and see consistently what it is from page to page to page. And that's why I've told you over and over again that we may bore you a little bit, really that should never happen, by repeating, because he repeats it, oh wow, he said the same thing in Genesis, again in Exodus, and he said it again in Deuteronomy, he said it again in, in, in Isaiah, he said it again in Jeremiah, he said it again. He says the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Our problem is that we are not making our ears attend to the wisdom of it and inclining our heart to understanding it. Can we understand that now? Can we agree? That's where the breakdown is. It's not in the message. Did you ever wonder why he had to say it over and over again? Because generationally, each generation needed to hear it again. Hey, hello, wake up, pay attention. You're making the same mistakes as the previous generation, the previous one, and the previous one. That's almost always the message. Wake up, don't do what they did. That's why even Paul tells us these things are written as examples for us so that we can learn and gain wisdom and understanding. And through it, knowledge, which is a relational thing. And I thought we were going to get through chapter 2. We've gone through two verses. Verse 3. For if you cry for discernment, Lift up your voice for understanding. So we should be crying out for that discernment. But now, 
Why would you cry out for discernment if the Ruach just teaches you everything? Oh, you know, Rabbi, before, when that was written in Mishlei and Proverbs, you know, they didn't have the outpouring of the Spirit yet. Nonsense. And you know what? Let's not even deal with that. Let's deal with this then. Do you ever cry out for discernment? Do you ever struggle to understand? Do you cry out for the Ruach and you cry out for Abba to show you and yet he still doesn't? And then you'll come here, sit down, and there it is. Boom, it happened to be the teaching that week, exactly what you wanted. Did that ever happen? Because that's the process he uses. So there's no difference here between if you cry out for discernment. I mean, I was mind blown listening to a broadcast on YouTube with a group of guys attacking teachers, saying they were all filled with the Ruach. They did this for about an hour and a half, and then spent the next 30 to 40 minutes answering everybody's questions. That was like the height of hypocrisy in my mind. They made this strong argument for over an hour, hour and a half, why we don't need teachers and why the Ruach teaches everything. And as soon as someone asked a question, they should have said, you go home and let the Ruach tell you. Why wasn't that their answer? How dare you answer people's questions after you tell them that they don't need people to answer their questions? I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, you understand. But that was mind-blowing to me. How do you sit there and tell people we don't need people to answer questions and then start answering their questions? Because the, the heart, which does not want to submit doesn't want to be under, doesn't want to need a person, likes to hear that they don't need all that. It makes us feel special and good to know the Ruach will teach me directly. Only the problem is, it doesn't work, does it? Now, not to say that occasionally the Ruach doesn't inspire you or open up your heart and your understanding to something. But all of us struggle with understanding this book because it's not supposed to be understandable without help, which is why in Ephesians 4, Paul told us that they're supposed to be teachers as part of the fivefold ministry. Otherwise, why would we even have that in there? And don't tell me that Paul didn't already know that the Ruach was already poured out. But he tells us that we need teachers. And those teachers are supposed to be there to do what? To to um, bring to the fullness, the, the body. To bring us into that place where we are in full conformity to the Messiah. To the unity and the conformity and the completeness that is Messiah. That has not happened yet. You know why? Because there's not enough proper educated and proper anointed whatever teachers. That's only half the equation. The other half is, not enough of you are willing to go out and find one and then submit. Oh, now I'm going to be called cocky again. There you go. You guys have had your ears tickled enough. You don't need to hear that anymore. You have a responsibility and a job to do as part of this process. You need to go find yourself a teacher. I didn't say you need to find me. I didn't claim I'm the only one out there that knows anything. You need to find one. And when you find one, don't argue with him or her, whatever it is. You get under that teacher and you listen. But you go find that teacher. That's scriptural. That's right there all the way to the Brit. Otherwise, when you, when you cry for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding, what are you going to get? you got to have some place to go. It says, look, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you would understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of Elohim by doing it through his process. 
The challenge is that there's just not a lot of the people out there that are available to you as teachers. There may be some fabulous ones sitting quietly in a congregation that are not available on YouTube or somewhere where everybody can get access to them. But you need to seek one out. He says, then you need to seek her as silver. So how do you seek? You look, you search. And don't just search for the one that makes you feel good or happens to say, which, oh, I've always thought that. Well, just because you always thought it doesn't make it right. You might want to find a teacher that every now and then is going to throw you something that you never thought of. And you never saw. And all of a sudden, light bulbs are exploding in your head as the, as the Ruach is saying, bingo, there it is. Ding, 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 ding. And you go, yes. I get it now. Find that teacher. He says, then you would understand the fear of Yahweh and find... So why would he say, if you seek after silver, if you search for his hidden treasures, somehow that's connected with understanding the fear of Yahweh. Because you would have awe and reverence for how he does it. For his process. You see how that plays out? You understand what I'm saying here? I mean, think about it. He says, you would cry out for discernment. You lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for the hidden treasures, search for her as hidden treasures, then you would understand to respect and have on reverence for Yahweh. He wanted to see how hard you were going to work for this. How bad do you want it? And so you search. And by the way, sometimes he's going to allow you to have the fruit of your efforts that while you're searching, he's going to show you. You don't always need a teacher, but often enough, because that still gets you plugged into the process. There's a process that goes vertically that gets you connected through. Except for one moment in time, he worked through people. He spoke from the mountain. And everybody heard it. And guess what the people said? We can't handle it. And so he said, fine, I'm going to work through people. Now, can we also understand that when it talks about in Deuteronomy, when a, when a, when a, a prophet like unto Moses, like unto you, comes, okay? When it talks about that, it says, and you need to obey, you need to follow, you need to listen to that prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, he says, and I shall raise up for them a prophet like you out of the midst of your brothers. I put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them all that I command him. And it shall be that the man who does not listen to my words, which he speaks in my authority, I require it of him. Now, we all read this in Deuteronomy 18 as being only about Yeshua. Some of you expanded your thoughts to realize he means all the prophets. So it includes Isaiah. It also means, by the way, Joshua, who is the next person right after Moses, raised from among the brothers, who spoke Yahweh's words. But the reason I know it's not talking about a single person, it talks about immediately after that, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded, or who speaks in the name of other mighty ones, even that prophet shall die. And when you say in your heart, how do we know the word which Yahweh has not spoken? It says when the prophet speaks in my authority and the word doesn't happen. How many of you are still listening to teachers out there that have said things were going to happen that didn't happen? Why do you still listen? Oh, but you don't understand, Rabbi. That, that teacher was so critical in my coming into all of this. I get that. I appreciate that. You appreciate that. But now you know better. Oh, you just want everybody to listen to you as you're trying to get rid of all the other teachers. Can I just read what it says? It says, when they say something's going to happen and it doesn't, they are what? False. False. 
Now, am I asking you to go kill them? No. But it says here, when it says that, he said, that, pro- that prophet has spoken and presumptuously do not be afraid of him. Don't listen to them. Oh, and we can name some names, and I won't, but you know who they are. Naming dates, blood moons, jubilees, writing books, videos. Nobody's giving any refunds either now that that stuff didn't happen like they claimed it would, are they? Oh, oh, but you guys all fell for the Diet Coke, though, didn't you? You're all looking at me like, what do you mean the Diet Coke? You mean, I mean like when the person goes to McDonald's and they order two Big Macs and a Diet Coke because that somehow fixes all the calorie problems. You see teenage girls do this all the time. They walk in, get the giant thing, and I'll have a Diet Coke with that. You just got a large fries and two Big Macs and somehow the Diet Coke is going to make any difference. It's more toxic than everything else you ate anyway. But their thought is, I don't want all the extra calories, so I'll get the Diet Coke. Like somehow that fixes anything. Well, guess what? If I give you an hour or two video telling you that blah, blah, blah is going to happen this September or this whenever, and then I put a little thing at the end of it that says, not that I'm naming dates or anything. I'm sorry, that's a spiritual prophetic Diet Coke. It doesn't change the fact that that person spent two hours convincing you it was coming next year, this year, whatever it was. And you still walked away and ignored the Diet Coke thinking it was happening. I've seen people uproot, move to places because they knew Messiah was coming and he didn't come that time that that teacher taught them he was coming. Where's the wisdom in that? Where's the understanding in that? He says, oh no. He says, you need to seek her silver and search for his hidden treasures so that you understand the fear of Yahweh. It is not easy to take a teacher. You know what? Sometimes a teacher, how many of you still went to, when you went to fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, still talk to your second and first grade teachers very much? Did they teach you much anymore after that? No. They got you from first grade into second grade. And the second grade teacher got you from second grade into third grade. So that teacher was useful, but up to a point. So I'm glad that some of these teachers were useful, but up to a point. But you need to stop emotionally going, but I like them. Okay, wait a minute. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, unless you like them, then you can stay with them. Where's that verse? But I like them. But you don't understand. I like the way he approaches scripture. I like the way he does it. Like, what is your, what does your preference have to do with anything? If they name it and it doesn't happen, that's it. That's scripture. I have warned teachers to stop doing that before, and they, they don't listen. That's their problem. I, I did my job. I said, I want to encourage you, please take this teaching down that you put up there. It's naming dates. It's a bad idea. They didn't, and everything they said has already passed and didn't happen. Some of you know the ones I'm talking about. With the blood moons and naming, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017. Guess what? It's almost 2019 and that stuff didn't happen. So where's the people stopping? Are their ministries over? No. People still buying their books and CDs and videos? Oh, yeah. People still watching them every week on YouTube? Oh, yeah. Why? Because we are not mature enough to make those hard choices. 
because I like him. You don't understand. I've got an emotional attachment because when I came out of Christianity, that was the first teacher I had, and they showed me so many things, and I learned so much stuff. Good. Move on. I'm just trying to get your attention here. Verse 6. We're back in Proverbs 2. 30 minutes into this verse 6. For Yahweh gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Okay. We'll read it for what it actually says. Yahweh gives wisdom out of his mouth. Anybody heard him talking lately? Does he have conversations with you? Or does he, as always, speak through anointed, appointed people? That's what Moses was doing. That's what the 70 that got the anointing on Moses and it was shared with the 70 started doing. And Joshua got bent out of shape about that. Because they started to prophesy. Let's remind ourselves about the definition. To prophesy is to speak the word with authority. It is not limited to eschatology, end times, and what's going to happen in the future. As a matter of fact, most of the time it has nothing to do with that. Most of the time it's about wake up. If you don't fix this, some things are going to happen. But the main message was on fixing it. When Jeremiah warned them about Babylon, was he worried about making them sure, oh, Babylon's coming, so everybody pack up and leave? No, he said, fix this so that it doesn't happen. And then if you don't fix it, you need to accept the punishment that's coming. So it wasn't even a warning that they could then get ready and escape or anything. He said, they're coming, you need to just take it. That's part of what Abba has in mind for you. See, everybody wants that secret knowledge that's going to help you get away from, escape from, whatever's coming. How about wanting to be prepared so that you go through it and come out of it correctly? Oh, he might put his hand on you, but there's some very well-spoken-of martyrs all in Revelation that die during that tribulation time. And you know what? I don't want to die, but I wouldn't mind if it led to getting well, being well-spoken-of like in Revelation. These are the ones that were, that were martyred and were found well-pleasing in my sight who were willing to put it all on the line for what I say. But he says here, for Yahweh gives wisdom out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And he treasures up stability. People say, oh, that's how he teaches us through the Ruach. Why are you crying out for discernment? Just get on your knees and pray or stand away. It doesn't say you have to be in any position. And just ask the Ruach to give you the information. I know all of you have tried that at some point. We all do. And you don't stop. You keep trying. But does it very often actually work? Do you really often get right there the understanding, the wisdom, and discernment that you need? No. You may get that when you then go and call your counseling up, up the chain, so to speak, ministry person, and you talk about it, and the person then gives you that word that you needed and connects that dot for you. And then the Ruach will confirm it for you and go, yes, that's what I was needing. That's how it connects that I couldn't see it. And it often comes through teaching. I know when I was on the chair and I was not at the podium, that happened to me all the time. I used to go up to people after a sermon and say, I really apologize and I'm so sorry that you had to sit through all of that. That was for me. Because I felt that whatever it was was exactly like I was, it was talking to me. Because that's what I needed to hear. 
That's what I'd been looking for. That is what I'd been struggling with. And all you guys have those experiences. For Yahweh gives wisdom out of his mouth comes uh, come knowledge and understanding, and he treasures up stability for the straight, a shield to those walking blamelessly. Oh, we're in trouble now. He treasures up stability. With all those out there thinking that the Ruach is just leading them and they don't need anybody else and no help and no people to work with, do they all seem very stable to you? Are we seeing stability in the body with everybody thinking that the Ruach leads them all individually one at a time? No. Do you know that it says, when, I don't know how many times we talk about this, but it says that there was each one doing what was right in their own eyes because there was no, what? There was no king. There was no sovereign. There was no authority. They were on their own thrones. So each one being on their own throne did whatever was right in their own eyes. After all, if you're the king, you do what you want. Why not? I mean, you're the king. You get to make the rules. You get to decide what's right and wrong. He treasures up stability for who? For the straight. The ones that are doing what? Inclining their heart to understanding. Making their ear attend wisdom. The ones that are crying out for discernment. The learning of the fear of Yahweh. And then wisdom, understanding, and knowledge all comes out of that. They are the straight ones, and he's a shield to those walking blamelessly. You know, I really like the way that's worded, blamelessly. Because blamelessly doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't make any mistakes. But it means that those that made mistakes did what they were supposed to do after making the mistake. So now there's no blame. See, I can't blame you if you already came to me and accepted the blame and apologized and did everything else. What am I supposed to do at that point? Something happens and I want to go blame you and you come right up to me and say, listen, I apologize. I own this. It's my fault. I will make it right as best I can. There's nothing for me to blame at that point. You've already handled it. You owned it. You took responsibility. You did what you could to fix it and you apologized. So he says, he treasures up stability for the straight and the blameless. Hmm. He's a shield to those walking blamelessly. He's not going to protect you just when you're perfect, but when you do the right thing, even when you're not perfect. Matter of fact, I think you impress him more based on how you respond to when you mess up than when you're just doing everything right. Because we all do things right for a period of time. But what do you do when you make that mistake, when you trip and you fall and you stumble and you're tempted some in some direction? That's when he's really paying attention and watching and going, okay, I want to see what she does now, what he does now. I mean, it's kind of like what happened with Job, right? You know, Hasatan goes, look at Job. Actually, Yahweh said to Hasatan, look at Job. What do you think of my man Job? He's a good guy, right? And Hasatan said, well, sure, you give him everything. His life is so wonderful. Let's see how he handles when things aren't so perfect. Yahweh learns the most about you in adversity. That's why the trials come. Do you remember the cycle we talked about in baptism of fire? There's a process, there's a cycle where those pop quizzes come out. That's when the the ultimate teacher, our Father in Heaven, is watching and going, all right, I want to see how you handle this. That's when he gets to learn a little bit about you. He wants to see, what do you do then? He says here, 
For Yahweh gives wisdom, and out of his mouth knowledge and understanding. He treasures up stability for the straight, a shield to those walking blamelessly, to watch over the paths of right ruling, and the way of his kind ones he guards. So he gives us this shield so that we can watch over the paths of right ruling. The word paths there has to do with halakha, has to do with walking, the derech, the path. What do you do on a path? You walk. So he's saying here, look, the ones that he wants to pay attention to are those who are watching over their walk on the path. Yeshua said, I am the path. He said in John, he says, I am the way. I'm also the instruction on how to walk on that way. I am life, I am truth, I am the way. He says, in the way of his kind ones, he guards. He says, if you do these things, then, verse 9, you would understand righteousness and right ruling and straightness, every good path. Wow, i got to do all of this, verses 1 through 8, so then I can understand righteousness. And actually, I would venture to say everything from chapter 1 to verse 8. So I can understand righteousness. I can understand right ruling and straightness. And I can understand that these are, these are every good path. There are good paths and there are not good paths. We don't have it in us to know the difference without his guidance. The way that seems right to a man leads to death. He says, because if you would do these things, verse 10, for wisdom would enter your heart. This is why you would understand righteousness and right ruling and straightness, etc. in every good path. Because wisdom would enter your heart and knowledge be pleasant to your being. In other words, the relationship with the information, the relationship with the right rulings and the righteousness and the straightness and the good paths, this would be pleasant to your being. See, a lot of us are thinking... I wish he'd have left me in church and kept the blue pill instead of the red pill or whatever because this is hard, this is work, and it's not pleasant. Some of you, especially this time of year, because your family is giving you so much grief about Christmas, so much grief about this season, that you're like, I don't know if I can take it. He knows you can take it or he wouldn't have opened your eyes. So why are you questioning, are you questioning him? Because you'll call me and say, I don't think I can take it. So why are you calling me with that nonsense? What do you mean you don't think you can take it? He opened your eyes knowing you could take it. Do you think he was guessing? Was Yahweh just guessing that you could make it through? Or did he know? Now, he didn't say that, that when he does these things that he knows you're going to make it. That's your choice. But he calls you knowing that you can. Understand the difference. He didn't call you guaranteeing and assuring that just because he called you, you're in. But he called you knowing all the things you would go through and that you can do it. You can make it through. Now it's up to you to show that that's the case. Don't get frustrated and depressed and all that other stuff. Sit there going, he sees something I don't see. I believe him and I'm not going to believe my own eyes. What are you going to believe, your own eyes or him? I know it's hard, because in your own eyes, you can't see how possibly you're going to get through this. Remember the Israelites at the sea with the Egyptians behind them. I don't remember back to what age I first understood that account. 
I wish I could have Yahweh just for one moment wipe that whole thing clean so I can go back and read that story and remember what it feels like to not know what was going to happen. See, because we don't understand anymore just how unbelievably stressful and panicky that was because we already know what's going to happen. We're not worried at all when Yeshua is telling the disciples how he's going to be captured, attacked, scourged, and, and then eventually crucified. Because we already know he gets resurrected. We're not worried about that. Oh, but the apostles are freaking out about it. Oh, no, be kind to yourself, Master. That's not going to happen. Why would you say such terrible things? And it doesn't bother us at all. I'm not saying like we're not a heart wrenched by seeing it happen, but we're not concerned. We know already the end from the beginning. We already know what happens. We're kind of like right now, we're like Yahweh is before any of this stuff happened. We already know when we start reading in Genesis 1, everything that happens all the way to Revelation. We read it already. We know. We've, we studied it. There's no surprises there. We're not surprised when Samson beats up all those Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey, right? We're not surprised when, after he's blinded, he tears down the walls of the temple. We're not surprised when Jericho collapses from a bunch of guys walking around it seven times. We're not surprised by any of these things. We're not surprised when Babylon comes in and takes them away. Or Assyria comes and takes the northern kingdom. We're not surprised by any of this stuff. We're not surprised when some young kid kills Goliath. We know the end from the beginning. That's what Yahweh's like about everything. So we already know. So imagine if you were talking to somebody like Yahweh does talk to occasionally in scriptures and calls them to do different things, but you already know what they're going to do. You already know how it plays out. He knew before he sent Samuel to go find David how that was going to all work out. Why him, the shepherd boy? Oh, because I already know what he's going to do all the way through. Just like you do now because you've read the story. And so you know. But he says here, if you would do these things, wisdom would enter your heart. And go back and read the heart of the matter teaching where we've got to prepare our hearts to receive. We've got to clean out all the junk and prepare our hearts to receive. He says, wisdom would enter your heart and knowledge be pleasant to your being. The experience, the relationship would be pleasant to your being. See, some of you now know what that's like because it took you a while to get to that place where Shabbat was something you longed for and you couldn't wait for. But there were times in the beginning where it was awkward and uncomfortable and you didn't understand it and it was inconvenient to some of the things that you did and blah, 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 blah. But now it is pleasant to your being. Verse 11. Discretion would guard you Discretion would guard you. You know, we talked about that in chapter 1. He says in chapter 1, it says, For knowing wisdom, this is the Proverbs of Slomo, verse 2, For knowing wisdom and discipline, for understanding the words of understanding, for receiving the discipline of wisdom, righteousness, right ruling and straightness, for giving insight to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. And young is not here talking about your chronological age necessarily. Young in the walk, new to all things. And so he's saying here in verse 11, if you do these things and come up to this point, discretion would guard you. You would use the wisdom to make better situational decisions. That's where discretion comes in. 
The body as a whole, no, I'm going to stop there. The world as a whole has a real challenge with situational awareness. That's something I don't know if anybody uses that phrase, but that's a big phrase for me. I try to teach my children that. I teach people who I counsel that, that there's things that are appropriate situationally and not appropriate situationally. And you use discretion to know which is which. But it has to start with an awareness. If you're not aware of the situation that you're in before you decide to do something, you're not going to use the discretion necessary to do the right thing in that right moment. Because while it may be appropriate to do whatever that thing is in certain situations, maybe in that one it's not. So the thing itself isn't in itself right or wrong. It depends on the situation in which you're doing it. And that's called discretion. Discretion would guard you. Understanding would watch over you. To deliver you from the evil way from the man who speaks perversities. So now you have all of this wisdom, knowledge and stuff developing. You've cried out for it. You've sought after it. And it's saying now you're going to have this discretion to guard you. And all of this is purposed for what? To deliver you from the evil way. From the man who speaks perversities. By perversities, we're not talking about someone who's just using foul language and talking about sexual stuff. We're saying somebody who takes something and twists it. That's what perverse is, twisted. So taking Yahweh's word and twisting it is what we're talking about here. That's perversities. He says, you need to be delivered from the evil way and from the man who speaks the word in a twisted manner. Takes it and alters it from what it was intended to be used for, what it was intended to mean, and serves another purpose with it. Those who leave the paths of straightness, this is to deliver you from these things, from those who are in the evil way, those who speak perversities, those who leave the paths of straightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Some of you still hang out with those people. We're talking about people that were in, and now we're no longer. I'm not telling you necessarily to shun them, but be aware that one of you is going to influence the other, and it may not likely always be you influencing them. They've already made their decision to leave. You're the one that's actually at risk. So be careful, those who have left the path of straightness, who are now walking the ways of darkness. By the way, the ways of darkness doesn't mean they're doing horrible, evil things. It is Yahweh, Yeshua, and Torah that bring light. So you could be doing anything but Torah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not, that it's evil. It's just darkness. It doesn't have light. It's his word that has the light. Who rejoice to do evil. They delight in the perversities of evil, whose paths are crooked and they are perverted in their ways to deliver you from the strange woman, from the foreigner who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and has forgotten the covenant of her Elohim. There it is. You see, if you don't do everything from chapter 1 and flow into everything in chapter 2 here, you are at risk of having a lack of discretion and ending up in trouble with those who are perverse or evil or leaving the paths of straightness or walking in darkness. You are are at risk of being tempted by the strange woman. Woman is often referring to assemblies, congregations, Teachers, the foreigner who flatters with her words. Now remember, this is talking about somebody who was in, 
How do I know? Because it says, this is a person who has left covenant, has forgotten covenant. This is not talking about an outsider. It's talking about somebody who was in, who is now out. By out, let's beware what I'm talking about. We're not talking about somebody who has left completely. We're talking about they've left covenant. What is the covenant? Doing everything he says and not doing what he says not to do. There are people that are walking among us. They're called the tares. We're not going to try to identify who they are. We're told not to. But guess what? Those tares are these people to some degree. They have forgotten their covenant, but they're trying to lead you or pull you or draw you in a direction that's not exactly covenanted. You cannot be kind of, sort of covenanted. Either you are or you're not. That's like being kind of pregnant. Can't. You're pregnant or you're not. Okay, so you're either in covenant or you're not. If you are putting your spin, your thoughts, or some other way on his word, you are no longer covenanted. Covenant says you're going to do it his way always. Now that doesn't mean that when you sin, when you mess up, that, you, that you're out of covenant like somehow you've left, but you've broken the covenant at that moment. That's why you repent. Because the, the, remember, the covenant is to do what he said, and when you don't do it, you've broken it. But it's not like one of those things, you break it, now you're done, I'm done with you. You get to repent, make the shuvah, and get back in. Yahweh only at some point, finally, with the prophets, tells Israel, you know, with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, I'm done with your covenant breaking. So now we're done. Covenant broken. Okay? Until we're going to make a new one. And the new one is going to be based on the old one. And so here, thankfully to us, when we mess up, we have an opportunity to quickly get back in covenant. And that's where the apologizing, the discretion, the doing the right thing, having the discipline to make teshuvah comes into everything. Teshuvah, the Hebrew means to turn around and get back on the path. You go heading in one direction, you realize it's the wrong direction, and you turn yourself around and go back in the right direction. That's the, that's teshuvah. So here, the whole point is, all of this is to keep us from... If you're not doing this seeking and searching and finding the teachers and walking it out and understanding it, having a relationship with it, knowing all these things, you are up, you are allowing yourself to be up to the potential. You're opening yourself up to the potential of this bad stuff happening where someone could be teaching perversely, twisting the word and you could follow that or having somebody and they use the word of the woman because remember he's talking to his son and women to a man can be tempting, can be alluring, can be desirable. So it's there as a metaphor for that which could be desired or tempt you or draw you. So don't, this is not an attack on women. This is just using, he's talking to his son and he's using the metaphor for that. This is a metaphor for anything that would draw you, allure you, tempt you. How does that look today? When somebody out there is saying what you wanted to hear and giving you permission to do what you wanted to do or telling you you don't have to do what you didn't want to do. This is the allure of that whole Melchizedekian teaching that's out there. For all those people that came out of Christianity that really weren't that excited about doing all that Torah, here's a teaching that gives you less Torah to do. 
And it's an alluring thing. It's a tempting thing. It draws people in. Why? Because it's appealing to their desire to do less Torah. And so there you have it. I'm going to be excited about it because now I can go be a Melchizedekian teaching guy and I don't have to do as much. Only problem is, that's not what the book actually teaches. And yes, I know I promised that teaching and we'll get there eventually, okay? It's just going to take a lot of time to address all of their confused points and I have to have the time to put that together. But it's essentially a mainstream Christian argument being used to do less Torah. And they're going to use Hebrews and Galatians as the primary sources to make that excuse. But here's the thing. And it basically feel, fits into this. The people that fall into it, I believe, were weak in the area of all of these things that lead eventually to discretion. They didn't have enough proper discretion to sort through and recognize the twisting or the perverseness of that teaching. That teaching is twisting the actuality of what the word says. The realities of what the word says. And that's where the problem is. So he says here, this is, this is all that you're doing here is to deliver you from these things. Because she has forgotten the covenant of her Elohim. See, without that verse there, you could think, oh, this is some stranger from outside that's coming in to mess us all up. Oh, no, no. She has forgotten the covenant. This is someone who was in covenant. For her house is sunk down to death and her paths to the dead. No one going in, none going into her does return, nor do they reach the paths of life. Because you can't reach the paths of life with a twisted teaching leading you in a different direction. Can't happen. So walk in the way of goodness. Here's the encouragement from him. And guard the paths of righteousness. For the straight shall dwell in the earth and the perfect be left in it. But the wrong shall be cut off from the earth and the treacherous ones plucked out of it. Please somebody go call Tim LaHaye and those guys and tell them they got it backwards. It says the wrong shall be cut off and the straight are left behind. Oh. You mean again the mainstream had his backwards? Could it be more specific and straightforward than it is in Proverbs chapter 2? It says here again, the straight shall dwell in the earth and the perfect left in it and the wrong ones taken away. How could it be more clear than that? It's not ambiguous. It's not sowed level, deep level stuff. It's Peshat level stuff, simple stuff. Oh, but the left behind guys has everybody who is good disappearing and the bad ones are left behind. It doesn't say that. Oh, well, that's Old Testament stuff. They didn't know what they were talking about back then. Really? Who's cocky now? You people that think that the Old Testament people didn't have the spirit, didn't know what they were doing. And you guys are so much better, right? All of this is so that we would walk in the way of goodness and guard the paths of righteousness. And again, notice how that's very active. You must walk. You must guard you must incline. You must make your ear attend. You, Wow. You've got a lot to do. What do we say about covenant? Covenant is an agreement between two or more persons to do or not do specified things. These are some of the specified things that he's expecting you to do and not do. See, it's not the 
easy breezy, you know, sloppy grace thing, whatever you get in mainstream, where you don't have to really do anything. He's done it all for you. And anything bad, the devil did it, so we just need to reject him. And so you really don't take any responsibility for anything. You don't really have to do it. Oh, I'm sorry, you got to make an altar call and pay your tithe. That's all they expect you to do. Now, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm over-exaggerating that. Okay? But not by much. And so we have to be careful that that mindset is not still in here somewhere affecting the fact that you, you know, affecting your walk. Affecting the, the understanding that you need to incline, make, do, prevent, guard, watch over, discipline. I mean, very active stuff that we all need to be doing. Let's go before the Father. Avinu Makeno, our Father, our King, Father, we come before you and we are seeking after you, searching for her as silver, this wisdom thing, so that, Father, that we can have understanding and wisdom and a relationship and knowledge of the right way, of righteousness, of right ruling, of straightness, of every good path. Because, Father, we understand that this is what brings life we are, you tell us here that these things that the false and the perverted and the twisted are doing do not reach, do not reach the paths of life. We know that Yeshua is life. We know Yeshua is the walking, talking Torah. He says, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. And so, Father, we seek to incline our hearts, to make our ears attend to your wisdom so that truly we would fear you. And we would understand the fear of Yahweh. And then we would find the knowledge of relationship that we need to have with you, our Elohim. Father, thank you so much for putting these things in your word, for giving us an opportunity to sit at your feet, to read and go through and understand that which is here. Hopefully, all of us are inclining our ears, making our ears attend, inclining our hearts to what is in your word here, and to see ourselves in all our weakness, in all of our lack of yeshua or whatever the right way of saying that is, so that we cannot be depressed about it, but we can be excited about it. Now that we see it, we can fix it. Now that we see it, we can conform, change, transform more and more and more into image of Yeshua. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask you for strength. We ask you for encouragement. We ask you for patience with us as we go through this process. As we lift up our cries to you, in respect and on reverence and in the authority of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.